This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Downline Institute and facilitated by Ariana Remsen. Here's audio content from their track called Women Discipling Women. So great. So I'm glad everybody's here. Um, I mentioned to a couple people a few minutes ago, but I prayed for four people and fasted and prayed or 400 people. So anything in between is fantastic. And I know God has a plan for you and God wants you here and he wants me up here. So I'm going to do my best to relay information to you. This is a really casual atmosphere. So please, we'll have time at the end for questions. But I just want to share my heart for discipleship, um, share my experiences mostly. Uh, because I am not a uh, professional uh, seminary grad, so uh, I have a medical background, so I came at this from a really different angle, Uh, but I want to let you know who I am and let you know why discipleship is so important to me. I think that if we had discipleship oozing through our church, all the way from evangelism all the way through to mature, mature discipleship with real authentic relationships, it would be a church that would blow out the kingdom. I mean, the things that we could do locally and the things that we could do internationally um, for, for women and for the kingdom would be absolutely amazing. If we were all in authentic relationships with one another, if women actually knew women um, and we were actually able to put down our guards, know each other, disciple one another through good times, bad times, through spiritual immaturity all the way through. Um, We would have just churches that we would all want to serve in because the overflow of their hearts would just be for the kingdom and the kingdom's glory only. Um, And we would want to be there and we would do amazing things uh, in our marriages, amazing things with our kids, amazing things with other people's kids uh, and in each other's lives. So that's that's the utopia that I want to shoot for. That's the church that I want to be a part of. Um, And luckily, where I am right now, I'm able to start seeing those changes happening, and so it's so exciting. So I want to tell you a little bit about my story. Uh, Right now, where I am is I work at Harpeth Christian Church. Uh, That is our founder's Bobby Harrington, who you've heard from uh, on the stage. He's moderated a couple of the the big uh, forums, founddiscipleship.org. But prior to that, um, I grew up in a home that was marginally... Religious. We went to church on Sunday. Um, it was about everybody getting in the car, making sure we had our Sunday best on, getting to church. There was always an argument on the way there because I have a sister that's 10 years older. So when I'm 6, she's 16, try to get that age range ready for church on Sunday. So my dad was always beeping the horn in the driveway, um, not happy because my sister was always running late. So those are my memories of going to church is we were never in a great place. But as soon as we got out of the car... Our happy faces were on, and we all looked great, and um, we went to church. So we did that for years. And then as I went to a summer camp um, that my parents helped um, work in, it was a church camp, we, I came to know the Lord. He was very real to me then. Um, I heard his voice up there on that mountaintop, but I didn't know what to do with it. There was no discipleship program. I didn't really feel comfortable at home telling my parents, yeah, I heard from the Lord. 
Um, and so, because they had never even really opened a Bible at home. And so we didn't pray over meals, we, nothing. So there was no conversations happening. So I just said, great, Lord's real to me. And then I kept on living my life uh, because I didn't understand what it meant to turn the whole thing over. So as, uh, as I matured, I would love to say that a woman came beside me and she discipled me through my teenage years and college years and I became a mature disciple and then I led my family uh, in my overflow of my heart. That did not happen. Okay. Um, I went to college. I made the mistakes that a lot of people do in college and then uh, got married right after college. As soon as I got married, my parents got divorced uh, because they had to wait for the last one to leave the nest before my mom felt she could leave. Uh, but that's their, that's their story. But, but I was newly married, and because I grew up, we're supposed to go to church. Now I'm married. We're supposed to go to church. So we went. Um, we did the same thing that I did growing up. Looked great on Sunday. We were that young couple that, you know, everybody's like, oh, great, look at them coming back to church. So we did that for several years. I started feeling the call, um, God's calling on my heart more and more to trust and follow him, trust and follow him, trust and follow him. So as I was drawing closer to Christ, uh, my husband was going further away. So as I was craving relationships in the church, he was pulling back. So we could go on Sunday, but that was about it. And so I started feeding into women's ministry and stuff like that. Um, but it never felt like I could be completely authentic at home and authentic at church because it wasn't a safe place. Um, nobody was telling their stories to me about how, you know, how their lives were, and I didn't feel like I was safe to, to share you know, what was going on at my house. So I thought I had a pretty average marriage. I thought, you know, we're doing all right. You know, we had two jobs, you know, we had two dogs, we had the house, the whole bit. Uh, I, we were involved in church. Um, but what I didn't realize was that my husband hadn't really turned his life over to Christ. Um, he was going to church, and so I kind of thought that's what that meant, that if you were kind of going, then you you do that. But what happened is we, we came to a spot where God called us to move from Florida to Tennessee. That was about 10 years ago. My best friend lived in Tennessee, so I was like, yes, I've been trying to get there for years. And so my husband came home one day, and he was like, I think we should move. Let's move to the country. I'm like, all right, great. How about this spot? So um, I did what any, you know, person that wants to control the situation would do, and I sent out his resume to everybody, and, uh, and I had been, I'd been working full-time up until about two years before that. We had a couple kids at that point, and uh, so found him a job, like, immediately, and that was great. So we moved up. Within three months, we were in Tennessee from North Florida, and what I didn't know was that God was really calling to his heart. He was really um, pursuing him. What I also didn't know was the grip hold that Satan had had on him for many years, so we're in Tennessee for a year or two, and we find a church. We get plugged in. He's starting to lead our family in that way. Well, I'm like, great. Wow. Okay. Didn't know this was going to happen. So knowing me, um, it's really hard sometimes for me to keep my mouth shut. Um, but God was really pressing on me. Shut up. Let this happen. Just <laughs> let me lead this process. So I kept staying back, staying back. I'm like, okay, okay. Find a church for us. You get plugged in. All that kind of stuff. Well, I started going to a program called Celebrate Recovery. Some of you might be familiar with it. Some might not. It's a 12-step recovery program. Um, there's, there's lots of facets to it. But one of the things when, when he started going was I started seeing change. I started seeing him in relationships with men. Um, and I thought, this is great. But I actually didn't want to know why he was going. 
I was like, you know, I don't think I really want to go that far. Um, but then one day God really started pressing on me, um, saying, no, you're ready to know. You need to know what's, what's gone on in the past. So, so we had a conversation, and he actually answered the questions. Um, and when those questions were answered, bottom fell out. I mean, my world was rocked completely. And I thought, I've been doing the right thing for years and years and years. Really? And so it was a time in my life where all of a sudden, what I thought I was standing on solid ground, I wasn't. I was in quicksand. And he asked me something. He asked if I would also enter the recovery program with him, if I would go. I don't want to go because you don't want it to be there. (laughs) And so um, once God kept reminding me, you know what, be supportive. Be supportive through this process. Um, Suck it up and go. So I did. And what I learned there was that um, it it wasn't so much about what you were recovering from. It was who you were drawing your life to. And that God wanted me to get closer to Christ through this. And what he was going to teach me there was about discipleship. I had never been discipled. And now, if I was going to go to this, I'm, I'm either all in or not all in kind of person. So I was like, you know what, if I'm going, all right, I'm all in. I'll do it. So I had to submit to a process. I am not a submission kind of girl. I am a... We need to get something done. Let's go. You don't want to make a decision? I'll do it. You know, I'll, yeah. And so for me to submit to their process, um, and this had been tried and true, but I was always trying to find loopholes. I'm like, well, but what if we just skip that first two steps and I start with the fourth step and then maybe I could just then incorporate the first one later? You know, I was trying to work the system like any which way I could to shortcut it because I was like, but I'm further along than that. You know? And so, but I had to submit to it. And so I walked Karen into my life. So she became my sponsor, which is really a discipling relationship um, with a structure around it. And she had been through a divorce. She'd actually had pretty much the same scenario that I had, but she had gotten divorced. And so I asked her to walk me through staying married because I felt like that was what God was calling me to do. And it was in her heart. She was like, I, I, I wanted to do that. Like she wanted to do that in her marriage and that wasn't an option for her. And so the way that she walked with me, she walked me through forgiveness. She walked me through every step of the way. She walked me through anger. She walked me through terrible thoughts of, oh, if my husband got run over, I mean, you know. Um, You know, there were times when (laughs) your thoughts go really dark when you're in a dark place. And so she walked me through those. But what she did was it wasn't about my marriage. It really wasn't. It was about me drawing closer to Christ, me learning how to surrender everything, including my husband, including my marriage, including my kids, um, to Christ. And so she held me accountable. When I had thoughts that were not appropriate, she told me, go look for scripture and figure out where your thoughts are supposed to be. You know, you just had a part in the argument you just had. Go apologize. I'm like, but he, she's like, I don't care what he did. Go apologize. And so I had to learn how to use those biblical principles that I'd had up here but really hadn't had, didn't have in here to walk through life. And so through that process, I learned what discipleship looked like um, in real, real time. And so a lot of women, though, don't necessarily uh, want that in their life uh, or maybe they aren't ready for that in their life. Or I think we come up with a lot of reasons. And a lot of times we think that they're these, you know, really – morally high reasons. Well, nobody, they don't have time for me. I mean, 
I'm fine. I'm really, I'm good. Yeah, I'm getting through life just fine. You know, or, or maybe it's the idea that nobody could really understand where I'm coming from. Uh, or I'm already in a leadership position. What would it look like if I'm already in a leadership position and I go and ask somebody to disciple me? Mm-hmm. Eh, you know, what's that going to look like? You know, and so all of these things, Satan's just using to keep you down. Keep you down. God wants to be glorified through you. The only way to do that is in authentic relationships, is truth through love. And that's what is that's what a discipling relationship is. And I think sometimes, you know, we had the forum last night. I don't know if y'all were there, um, but we talked for a while, quite a while, about evangelism and, <laughs> and where discipleship starts and how you get to the end, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and I think that's all, it's, it's all discipleship. Um, right now, in my season, I am called to, to really feed into women leaders um, and get them to the next level so that they can then lead um, D groups or they can lead other, other places. Um, will I be called to true evangelism at some point? Maybe. Um, there have been very few people that I've worked with that I've started from, from evangelism and then baptizing them, carried them all the way through. What I've seen from experience is that, is that different people come in in different times in their lives, um, and that's okay. Uh, so I think, that, I think that we don't have to put ourselves or other people into these boxes of, you know, once I start with somebody, I'm going to go all the way to the end, or I have this gifting, so I need to match it with that gifting. Um, it, everything can look a lot different. So what I want to do today is really talk about the people that, that I've had the privilege of investing in, let you know some of the lessons I've learned from it, um, maybe some of the pitfalls uh, that, I've, that I've encountered, um, but more importantly, the individualism that a lot of the discipleship really takes on. Mm-hmm. Most of my experience has been one-on-one. Uh, most of my experience has been kind of, um, I hate to use the word crisis-related because most of the time, a lot of the time it's just life. Uh, it's dealing with that and getting people through um, and getting them to the next stage of their, their spiritual development. Uh, but I want to use those examples because that's how I've learned. And so I want to be able to pass that on to you. So the, the scripture that, that I want to sit in is John 14:12. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I've been doing. And they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. Will do the works that I've been doing. Well, Jesus was the best disciple maker ever. Mm-hmm. You know, that's what he did. He, he loved those men that he was discipling. He loved them, and he spoke truth into them. And that's what we're called to do. We're called to speak truth um, into women's lives, but through love. We're not just supposed to hammer it down their throats. I don't really like you that much. I don't want to be around you. I'm not going to be with you through the thick and thin. I'm just going to tell you truth. I'm just going to yell it at you. Nobody's going to learn it that way. We've all tried to do that with our kids. <laughs> it just doesn't work. Um, and so, so I just want to give you some examples of that, give you some tools uh, one of the things that that I've used is an emotional and spiritual kind of maturity chart, and I'm going to talk about that a little bit. But I also want to talk about relationships. Uh, I've, I've touched on it, and I touched on the relationship that Karen had with had with me. And I think we downplay sometimes how how integral relationships are in the Bible. We just I know for me, I looked a lot of times at the Bible and I was like, it's about me and God, me and God, me and God. Well, if you look at the last six commandments here, honor your mother and father, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false witness, you shall not covet. 
That is all about relationships with other people. You know, I promise if you steal from somebody, it's going to hurt your relationship with them. You know, you murder it, probably going to hurt that relationship and probably a few others around you. And so that's why those are there. If we weren't supposed to be in relationship, we wouldn't need these. He'd stop at the first four if it was just supposed to be us us and Christ. And then we look at things like the fruit of the Spirit. You know, love, peace, patience, gentleness. Well, who do I have to have patience for? It's not just for God. I have to have patience for everybody around me. Because they're all out to get me at times. You know? I have to show joy. The overflow of my heart, the overflow of the Holy Spirit, are these fruit of the Spirit. And I have to show those to other people. Because if I'm not, then I am not showing Christ-like love to other people. And we wouldn't have this if we weren't supposed to be in relationship with other people. And so I think we are called to those relationships. We are called to authentic relationships. And... And as uncomfortable as we can be at times by pulling down our guard and pulling down our shields, we're called to do that um, because other women need to see that. So I wanted to, to uh, go back to what I touched on, that emotional and, and spiritual maturity chart. So this is a crude chart that I honestly came up with because I was frustrated. <laughs> so I was working with some women, and I'm like, why are they getting it? Why are they getting it? I'm like spending... Six months, and we're, we're talking almost daily, and we're meeting regularly, and we're just not getting it. And so what I found was that there's, a, hopefully y'all can see this, that if we look at spiritual maturity here, and I did mention that I was in medicine before, so my handwriting is going to be horrific, but, and this is emotional maturity. <laughs> And please know, this is not meant to judge anybody. This is not meant to go, oh my gosh, you're immature. It's not meant to do that at all. It is to help expectations. Because if I come into it thinking that that somebody's in one place when really they're in a different place, then my expectations look very different. I don't give a three or four-year-old a cup of milk that's all the way to the top and expect them to walk from one end of the room to the other without spilling it. Just like somebody that's, that is spiritually immature, I'm not going to give them some massive scripture and expect them to be able to walk that out. Okay? It's just not realistic. And it's unfair to them, and it's really frustrating to me. And so the reason I came at this was really to help me not be so frustrated and not get blocked. So, so many of you have probably heard about um, just the infant, child, young adult, um, parent, and there's basically most of us know there's the same kind of thing in, in emotional maturity. We all think about it in physical maturity, but I would I would argue that emotional maturity doesn't always track with physical maturity. Most of you have seen 17 or 18 year olds that are like mature off the chart, and you've seen 45 year olds that you're like, what? You did what? You chose what? So um, so just keep that in mind that they don't always correlate. Uh, the first woman I want to I want to talk about is Helga. Okay, please know I've changed their names, uh, but they, I do have permission for all of, to talk about all of them. Well, I love your choice. Yeah, well, I had to choose names of people I didn't know, um, so I don't know any Helgas. So, so Helga here, I would put her right around here. So, so Helga came into a group that my husband and I were leading. Uh, it was a home group. We were meeting in our house, and um, she was, she was, Ripe. I mean, she wanted information. She was soaking it in like a sponge. She just wanted, she was participating in the conversation, but kind of, kind of on the edge. 
And uh, so she, but she was hungry. So I thought, okay, great, let's do a one-on-one study. So she and I and one other one other um, young woman from the group started meeting um, on non-group times. We started going through really the fundamentals. There's 12 kind of studies, and, and we would sit in one as long as we needed to um, and go to the next step. So, so we're doing this about probably three months, four mm-hmm. months. And she's acting as if she's really getting it. Mm-hmm. you know. And I'm like, okay, great, she's really getting it. Well, then we decided to take a break from actually doing the Bible study part um, and start talking a little bit more about life, right? So she's telling me more about the relationship she's in, and she's telling me more about work and, and things like that. And I'm starting to go, huh. What she's able to say now biblically is not matching what she's telling me in the relationship she's in. And so I had to backstep a few steps and realize that, that Helga, she was very immature. You wouldn't know that. She was in her 30s. She owned a home. She had a good job. Um, all those things. But as I started understanding her relationships, I realized that, that she really was entering her relationships as a young teenager. You know, a lot of times everything was very dramatic and everything was kind of victim-oriented and, and things were just not um, what I would have expected out of a 30-something-something-year-old. And so when we started trying to go through the scriptures to spiritual maturity, she, she couldn't get any further because the emotional maturity wasn't there. <laughs> And I was finding it frustrating because I was like, oh, go, come on. You can do it. And I would ask questions, and, and the answers I was getting was as if I was talking to a middle school girl. And so what it did, though, was she and I were able to have enough of a relationship, and she started trusting me enough so I could start bringing in some other elements, some help. Um, and that's what I want to encourage you is sometimes, especially if you've got somebody here and you're in a leadership position, you may not have the time and the bandwidth to really walk with, with in the, the amount of walking that this person needs to be. So you may need help. I suggested Celebrate Recovery. So And because we had that relationship, she's like, okay, I'll try it. So now she had a community of people that were also, you know, now it's a couple times a week that she's getting. She started getting some accountability partners. She started getting a sponsor, so somebody else that was also doing the same thing I was doing. Because if you've been around a lot of middle school girls, a lot of times it takes a lot of, it takes a village, you know, um, to reinforce things. And so what would happen was I would tell her one thing. I would say something, you know, about whatever it is that she was going through. Well, then she'd call her sponsor and she'd tell her the same story. Well, she would get the same information again. And so then because she had issues with trust, she was starting to trust the information that she was getting. And so she could start, we could start pointing her in that direction. And eventually we were like, you know what, maybe counseling would be a really good thing. Let's, let's get you hooked up to a good Christian counselor. And so she did that to be able to deal with those hurts from childhood that had caused her to stop here. You know, she had ended up, we found out that she had had a very traumatic event that happened right around 11 and 12. And so she really didn't emotionally mature. She stopped. And so, but it was freeing for me as a leader because it's not all on me. It's a village that needed to, to help grow her. I am so excited to say she's now uh, cycling other women, and she she's still getting disciples um, and still working through a lot of her stuff. Um, but she's but she understands it now. She's getting it, and so she's able to move forward. So that so in introducing this, it's really about expectations um, and kind of where you need to go. I know from from because I work at the church and I. Um, I kind of, Bobby likes to say, quarterback the discipleship ministry. I can 
I'm seeing people anywhere along the line. Well, I can't feed into everybody that falls in, in here, but I can connect them to other people uh, because it does take a wide bandwidth um, and a lot of time, especially just even to gain their trust to be able to then you know, suggest some other things. So it's, it's kind of funny, but God put something on my heart um, this week, actually, and it's about expectations. So I have a cat. His name is Flash. Um, he's named that because he runs everywhere really quickly. And he's orange. So we got him from the pound. I'm sure there's another politically correct way you're supposed to say pound, but you all know where I got him from. And uh, he grew up with a dog because he was six weeks when we got him, and so he's only been around a Labrador, so he thinks that he's a dog. Well, I also have a son who's 15. And what God put on my heart was the similarities between my 15-year-old son and my cat are really kind of ridiculously similar. But I was treating them differently, okay? So let me give you examples. So my cat is nocturnal. And if you're not a cat person, I totally get it. Uh, but you've probably been seen enough on Facebook to know what cats do. So my cat is nocturnal, as is my son. Okay? They're both noisy at night, and it's really irritating. Okay? Because the music is loud, uh, and the cat hits the curtains, you know, the, the little things, the strings that come down. He likes to bang those all night. Um, my cat's indoor-outdoor, so he comes and goes kind of as he pleases. But I still have control over opening the door or closing the door, okay? My son also believes that our home is just to sleep and just to eat, okay? Which is really the same thing as the cat is using our home to sleep and to eat, okay? My son's also very noisy when there's not food in the house. And if you've ever been around a 15-year-old boy, um, it gets really loud when there's no food in the house. And my cat is really the same way. I can be anywhere in the house. He will come find me. He will meow really loud and then walk away about two feet, meow again, walk away two feet and meow again until I get to the bowl that is probably half full and he wants it completely full. <laughs> so my cat also allows me to love him sometimes. Okay, um, sometimes he bites me. Sometimes he sits across the room and just looks over his shoulder and glares at me. I've done nothing different to the cat, okay? I've not punished the cat in any way, but he still does that. So what I was realizing is my son is the same way. Sometimes he, he you know, wants to kind of lash out and scratch me, and sometimes he lets me love him. Sometimes the cat sits next to me on the couch, and he just purrs, and I'm like, oh, this is so nice. And then all of a sudden he rolls over on his back, and he bites my hand. You know? Well, my son's kind of similar to that. You know, Some days he's coming home from school, and he is happy as a clam, and he is talking to me, and he's just, I'm like, oh, this is so sweet. This is that 8-year-old coming back. Yay. You know. And then the next minute, He's like, you have no idea what I'm talking about. And he walks away. And I'm like, well, wait, I really didn't even say anything, you know? And so, but what God put on my heart this week, which was so cool, was that I accept the cat where he is. Every time the cat does something weird, I just shrug my shoulders. So I'm like, he's a cat. He's a cat, you know? But my son, I'm going, why does he do that? Why, why can't he just make something himself from the refrigerator? The same, I can see the same things he can. You know, why can't, why is he so loud at night? Oh, my gosh. You know, why is he sleeping all day? You know, I'm not going, he's just a teenager. This is part of who he's supposed to be right now. You know, but I'm so easy to accept this cat and love the cat. And when he purrs with me, I'm like, oh, I love him so much. You know, and then I can see it every now and then when I see him, look at my son and he's asleep. I'm like, oh, he's <laughs> how cute he is or when he's being that oh I just I want to be with mom and that happens sometimes but I don't always accept him where he is and I think you know in this area we have to we have to accept people where they are we can't we can't not love them where they are 
but we also can't have expectations that are unrealistic for them. It is unrealistic for my son, probably. Well, it is unrealistic for him not to growl when he wakes up in the morning. When I get him up for school, he doesn't want to go to school. Why would he be happy to get up in the morning? You know, I have a 17-year-old daughter who loves to go to school. She happily gets up. But they've got two different purposes. You know, one doesn't want to go and one does. So, of course, he doesn't want to get up. But I get aggravated with him because he doesn't want to get up. You know, well, I need to accept him where he is, love him where he is, and then see how we can start changing behavior as he gets older. Um, but I can't be unrealistic in those expectations. And so as I talk about, about Eloise, again, made-up name, um, we look at Eloise, and she was right about here. And she had a lot of expectations. She was very young. Uh, when we met, she was probably 21, and she um, hadn't ever, uh, she had just gotten married. She had married a pastor. So she believed that everything should be great now. I mean, I'm married. I have married a pastor, which is the highest calling. So that should all go smooth. Um, I'm going to set up my home. You know, so she had all these things going into it. And she, and she was 21, which is a wonderful age. Um, but she had unrealistic expectations of what was going to be happening you know, at that time. And so with Eloise, she, she was already in a leadership position because of who she was married to. That's automatic. You know, we may like to say that, that, that our church doesn't put our, our pastor's wives on a pedestal, but they do. Um, and it's not fair. To most of them, um, because they may or may not have been called into into ministry the same way, um, but she was now in the in the spotlight, and she was going to have to be kind of part of his ministry, and she felt like she wanted to do that, um, but all of a sudden, she had a lot of people pushing on her uh, that she wasn't ready for. But she had some some um, spiritual training, and she really was a young adult. Um, she was thinking about starting to think about other people. Um, she was trying to trying to live life. Uh, but she had some issues in her marriage, and she had some issues that um, that were fighting against her being able to really feed into other people. So we started meeting. Um, we started going through. Actually, we went through the 12 steps with her um, that are that are part of Celebrate Recovery. And it was such a beautiful relationship because I was totally unprepared. I'll tell you about another woman that helped prepare me for Eloise in a minute. But I was totally unprepared. I felt like I was totally out of my league. I'm like, I'm not married to a pastor. I, we have totally different personalities. Her issues and stuff were, were completely different than mine. And she's 25 years younger than I am. How am I ever going to relate to this? Uh, and the way that she handled situations were totally different from me. But what God really put on my heart was, it wasn't about me. It wasn't about me at all. It was about her and what he wanted to happen in her life. And so I was just a vessel. I, I was just supposed to pray for her. I was supposed to help guide her through his leading, not through my leading. Um, and so as we had conversations and we started peeling her back and she started really trusting me, we could have some really good conversations and really walk her through what ministry looked like and what it looked like to be part of that and build her leadership skills up and also just, just build her up as a wife. I mean, she was trying to figure out how to lead ministry, how to become a wife, and how to be 21 all at the same time. And that's overwhelming for anybody. Um, but God prepared me for her 
because he put somebody named Dolores in my life. Now Dolores was right probably around here. Now Dolores had the same issues as Eloise, okay? And and when after I'd I'd been with Helga for a little while, Dolores came to our church. And if you've ever worked at a church, sometimes what happens is hysterical people show up at the door, okay? They are in crisis, and they know you're there, and they show up. Well, Dolores showed up one afternoon, and I was probably the only female there that day, and so she's mine. Okay, so Dolores comes in hysterical. Now, I had known her for several years. Our kids had been in youth group together. Uh, You know, we'd served together. She looked great on Sundays. She did, you know, all the things that she's supposed to do, volunteered in children's ministry, the whole bit. Um, What I didn't know was that her marriage was falling apart behind the scenes. And she felt like everything was, the the bottom was was pulled out from under her. And this had been going on for for a couple years. It had just been slowly kind of eating away at her. And she was just, at that point, she was like, I don't care if anybody sees the mascara coming down my face. I don't care that I'm actually, I just left work in the middle of the day. She's like, I don't care. I just, I, I, I don't know what to do. So she comes in, and I'm thinking, I don't know what to do. You know, I'm sitting there going, okay, all right, God, you're going to have to lead this conversation. You're going to have to let me know what my part in this is uh, because I'm kind of floored that she's not who I thought she was. But that was me. I was putting that on her. You know, she was coming in, and, and I wasn't asking the, the questions. I wasn't, I wasn't asking deeper into her life <laughs> to find out what was going on. Um, but she had to own it, too, because she didn't come before it became a crisis to her. So we start, we start walking together, and we start talking together. And I thought, at first I thought, well, I mean, I feel a little ill-equipped, but I've had marriage issues, so marriage issues, marriage issues. We can walk together. There we go. Well, what I found out was that her reaction to everything was the polar opposites of my reaction to everything. And so all of a sudden, she's telling me the way that she reacts to, to marriage issues, which quite honestly, the ones that I had walked through, were gugantuous compared to the ones that she was walking through. But, of course, I couldn't say that because to her they were gugantuous. They were big. They were life-altering. But I thought, if you want to hear life-altering, let me just tell you. you know. But, of course, I'm not going to do that because this was, this was very significant to her. But what God was doing was he was using that to draw her to him. And that was, and my part was just to help guide her along the path. And so we didn't deal much with our marriage at all. But what I was finding was that because her reactions were so different than my reactions, I had to completely rely on God to tell me what to do. And every text message, every phone call, every, every meeting, I just had to pray and go, God, I surrender this time to you. I feel like you've led me to these scriptures, but I, I have no idea what she's going to come at me with today. Um, I, I, and, I, and I don't understand her reactions the way that she reacts. Because what she told me was she was a door slammer. I was like, okay. Now, if you've seen this woman, she's the most mild-mannered person you've ever seen. I have never heard her raise her voice at her children. I had never seen her give her anybody a dirty look, much less slam a door or yell at anybody or curse or any of those things. I thought, really? Surely not. Maybe she's overreacting. Well, I didn't grow up in a home that yelled. I didn't grow up. That's not my reaction. I've got my own reactions, but that's not one of them usually, and so it was kind of foreign to me, and I didn't really believe it, to be quite honest, uh, until I got on the phone with her one day. So 
we've been walking together for probably four, five, six months even. And we're on the phone, and she's telling me about this argument that she'd had with her husband. I'm like, okay, great, all right, I hear you. And what she started to tell me, though, was, so I started questioning her, really, and asking her side of it and, and what maybe, where did she misstep in the thing. Well, she was feeling like I wasn't hearing her. And so she went off on me. I mean, she just started screaming at me. And I was like, you know. And I was, I, was, I was frozen for a second. And I remember God just being really loud in my voice going, love her. Love her where she is. Because right now, she went from here, boom, down to here. Because I had triggered her. Okay? And what I had to do when I was on the phone with her was, number one, listen to God. Really not to her. Um, and then I had to say, you know what? I love you. I love you dearly but you can't speak to me this way. And right now, I'm going to hang up the phone. I promise you that I will answer the phone again when you are in control of your words, and we can totally peel this apart, and, and it's not going to be a problem. This is, just, this is a hiccup in our relationship. This is not going to end our relationship. So I hung up the phone. I had no idea if she was going to call me back. I thought, this is going to be really awkward on Sunday. <laughs> and she's going to look great, and I'm going to be like, oh, hi, how are you? Fine, fine. You know. And so I thought... Uh, she's not calling back. She did. She called back like 10 minutes later, and she's sobbing. She is just, she felt awful, you know. But what I had to tell her was, what a privilege. She let me behind her curtain. She let me to where Satan takes her when he wants to grab hold of her heart and to sabotage relationships. And he wanted to sabotage the relationship between she and I. My job was, as hopefully being more spiritually mature, and at that moment, more emotionally mature, was not to let that happen. And so you will have those relationships in your life where they are pushing you back. What I have to re constantly remind myself is Satan doesn't want that relationship to happen. And so he is going to sabotage that relationship. He's either going to do it in your mind or he's going to do it in theirs. And your job is not to let that happen. And it's going to take everything you have in you sometimes not to let it happen. Um, but Dolores, I'll come back to Dolores because she... Um, She's, she's now feeding into me in a different way. And so, um, and she's a different person now. Um, and she feeds into her marriage and into her kids and into other women in a totally different way mm -hmm. from a totally different perspective. Um, because she knows that she's loved. And she knows that she'll come up and she'll go, that's my people. Because she knows I know the worst. Um, and I still love her. Just like she needed that example because she didn't feel like God could love her when she was at her worst. And so she needed to see that tangible sign of what it means to love in the worst. So for a minute, I want to talk about women in leadership. And that's kind of actually you know, the title of the thing, so I should probably get there. But um, <laughs> women in leadership can, be, can take on a different animal. Um, when, I was, when, when I was first starting to um, work with women, it was hard for me sometimes to tell. Like, people were in leadership, but I didn't really know where they were necessarily spiritually, and I didn't know, you know, where they were emotionally until I started going to meetings with them. And then you're like, oh, okay, all right, that's where this meeting's going to go, and we're just going to, yeah, all right. So somebody that came into my life was Claire. Now, Claire was a rock star, okay? She... Um, she had been in full-time ministry for, for many years, 15, 20 years. Her, her, she and her husband had, had done it for years. 
And she, um, she knew that Bible inside and out. And I knew that. And she had led women's ministry. She had done, you, know, you name it, she'd done it and done it successfully. She was a speaker. Um, you know, she spoke all over the place. And I thought, why is she coming to me? And so she comes and, and she's like, hey, so can we talk for a minute? And so we went and had coffee. And, and she said, I need some discipleship. I'm like, really? Uh, and so all through my mind is scrolling, what elder's wife can I lead her, can yeah. I tell her about? I'll tell her about some elder's wife that I'm sure can, can walk with her and, mm-hmm. and it'll be great. Um, but what she said to me in that conversation, she, she just said, pray about it. Um, she said, you have something that I want. Mm-hmm. She said, I see fruit in the spirit in you. I've been around you enough. I've seen you how you conduct yourself. I want peace and you have it. And I know some of your history. I don't know all of it. She's like, but I don't have that, and I want that. And so then, of course, I'm like, oh, okay. So I continued to pray about it, and God was not closing any doors. And so I said, okay, great. Well, let's walk together. Well, what she showed me in that humility of a leader that was way beyond my leadership skills, um, she showed me that at any time it is perfectly wonderful for a leader to get into a discipling relationship. She had come from a background that was pretty legalistic, and so she had led, led, led her life that way. And it wasn't working out quite the way she'd hoped. Her kids had gone off to college, and they'd gone any which way but loose, you know, or really loose. Um, and she was now at a stage where she was like, this isn't working. i got to figure something else out. I think you figured it out. So will you walk with me? Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I was so intimidated, to be honest, because I thought, she if we have to do Bible trivia at any point, <laughs> she's got me. She's totally got me. And if I look at the list, like, she could list people that she'd brought to Christ, people that, you know, that, that had she had she had, had a direct influence on. And I thought, well, my list was kind of short, but okay, you know. And, um, but it was such a beautiful relationship because she walked into it. Because she was here, she walked into it ready to go. Like, she was like... I have all the scripture up here. I don't know how to get it here. I think you have it more here than maybe you do up here. And so she's like, that's what I want. And so we could walk together and I could I could point her to scripture and say, you know what, this is what God tells me in this scripture. And she's like, oh, he was telling me about a checklist. I was like, he's not telling me about a checklist. He's telling me about where my heart is. And in that process, we were able to pull back all that stuff that she had, all those checklists that she had gone through and all those expectations that she had. Well, if I lead my life right this way, then this should turn out this way. It was like a balance sheet, you know, and it wasn't balancing anymore. And so it was such a beautiful time because what I found out was this is so rewarding, I mean, there's a, there's a lot of reward in bringing somebody to Christ, of course. You know, that is like, you know, the golden reward. You're like, yes, evangelism, yes. But the fact that she was so humble and came to me, it taught me so much. And as I was seeing her through a different lens, we learned from each other. Um, but she, she submitted to the things that I told her. I said, well, I think you should go apologize to so-and-so. I don't think you should allow your children to tell you that much about their life. That's too much information for a mom to have, especially when they're walking on a dark path. Mm -hmm. 
-hmm. You know, it's eating you alive. And so she submitted to that process. And I was so humbled by that, but it was such a great example for me as a leader to go, that's how you can do it, and that's how you can do it well. And so with Claire, she disciples women now on a whole new level. You know, she starts at it from the heart now instead of from the checklist. Mm -hmm. And honestly, her family's changed. Her kids have even come around. They've seen changes in her, and they'll come up to her and go, I'm not able to get the same reaction out of you as I used to be able to get. You know, and she's like, yeah, you're right, you can't, mm-hmm. and we're going to keep it that way. <laughs> um, but she's able to now share that with others. And it really didn't take a long time um, for me to invest in her uh, because the, the curve was like this, because she already had the scripture. She just wanted the heart behind the scripture. So that gets me back to Dolores. Um, like I said, where Dolores was, God put on my heart about six months ago. Um, I... In recovery, um, I mostly deal with food issues and body image issues and things like that. And some of you haven't ever dealt with that, and praise God you haven't, but you probably have your own stuff. Uh, maybe it's, it's self-worth. Maybe it's, it's um, people-pleasing. Maybe it's anxiety. Maybe, whatever it is. Um, we all have our stuff. And God just wants to use that to draw you closer to him. Because if we didn't have stuff, why would we need you know, Christ's love and peace and care and all that? So, so as I was praying through that, I kept trying to white-knuckle it. I kept going... You know what? I shouldn't feel this way. I shouldn't, you know, act out this way. You know, I shouldn't want to go for the jelly beans when I'm when I'm feeling a certain way. I shouldn't do this, you know. And I kept white knuckling it. I kept thinking, ah, it's just food. I mean, it's just body image. Everybody doesn't like the way they look about something, you know. And what God put on my heart was that's not of Him. I'm this body is a temple. I need to treat it as such, um, and I need to take care of it. Uh, but I also need to hand all that over and that I need a little help to do that. Um, so what Claire taught me in humility was to go to Dolores, who actually has that. She, she's got what I want in that area. And because we already had a relationship, we could go there. And the crazy thing about it is, which I didn't know at the time, was that when I finally worked up my nerve, honestly, to call her, which took like two weeks, um, was that she was studying to be a health coach. And she needed somebody to actually kind of practice on. And we had enough of a relationship where I could give her honest feedback and, and she could kind of try things out on me. So we're at, this just happened like a month ago. So, so we're in the middle of this, and it's fabulous because she's able to use the tools that, that she and I worked on a couple of years ago on me, and it took an act of humility for me to go, I need help. I can't do it myself. Um, but it doesn't mean I'm not feeding into other people at the same time, you know. It reminds me also of when Peter was on the boat and Jesus was calling out to him and saying, I'll make you fishers of men. He, hadn't, he didn't just see a guy in a boat that he'd never met before and go, wait, that guy looks good. I prayed about it. I, I think I'll go get him. You know, he knew him. He already, had, he already knew him. He, he crossed his path already. These women will cross your path. Um, whether it's people that, you're feed, that you are called to feed into or that are going to feed into you, he's already orchestrated it. It's crossing your path. Just like when we talk about evangelism, we talk about you know, going out to, to you know, be with people that don't know Christ. It's your spheres of influence that you're going to. You know, it's places that, that 
you are already in relationship with. God will do that for you. He'd already put me in relationship with Dolores. So it was an easy jump off then to move on to the next next place with her. So right now, I actually want to bring up Maggie. Come on, Maggie. Maggie's awesome. Um, I want to talk about future disciple makers, okay? Um, and Maggie has been so sweet to be able to, to come up here with me, okay? This is not in her comfort zone, and yeah, I appreciate that. Beyond belief. Maggie's comfort zone is um, encouragement, okay? She's, you probably all saw her in the lobby, okay? You probably, yeah. She's cheering you on, guys. It is taking everything in her not to tell me how awesome I, I am right now. She really is doing Literally, I had to coach her not to do that. I'm like, don't Don't do it, don't do it, it. okay? But we joke in our house, actually, my husband and I even joke in our house, that we want a little Maggie on our shoulder just telling us all day long, like, how awesome we are and how we can do anything and how we're, you know, and so how God can do anything through you because that's what she does. Um, And so I want one of those, you know, right in my ear. But but I want to talk about kind of where Mm -hmm. we met Mm -hmm. and how we kind of got started on a path together. So uh, Maggie and Jeff, her husband, showed up at our home group, the one that Mike and I were doing. And they showed up coming from another church. They hadn't been in a group. He was a little reluctant. She was like, no, let's do it. Um, Yeah. And so they show up at our doorstep. And we actually kind of knew each other, I think, because our kids went to elementary school together. So so we knew each other around a little bit. Um, But they started coming to our group, and they were participating. Like, they were sharing their lives. They were talking. They were, you know, they were were in it. And so we're like, hmm. So when people like that are in your group, you're kind of looking at them going, maybe they're future leaders, you know. So, so we started kind of asking them to do things. So, what was mm-hmm. the first thing we asked you to do? Well, I remember very well because it was something I was extremely uncomfortable with, and it was to pray out loud. At the end of our home group, mm-hmm. uh, we would have somebody pray out loud. And from my background, the church I went to, uh, the pastor always did that, so I didn't know what that looked like. And I was like, oh my gosh, don't call on me to do that ever. <laughs> so, very uncomfortable to pray out loud in front of a group. But we did. But what did we do and how did we set it up for you? Well, the, the thing that was so cool is Michelle had invited my husband and I to come over and kind of walk us through what that looked like. And actually, we prayed just the four of us. And we had questions and how do you do this and whatever. And you guys just showed us, modeled that one-on-one. And then when we got to, together with the home group the following, t- the following week, we were able to do that, and, and we were really like, oh, we just, it was the coolest thing yeah. ever, yeah. but they just, you know, you really walked us through it and, and did it that one-on-one yeah. so yeah. we could do it with the group. So. Well, and I have to tell you that this woman's a prayer warrior now, okay? Like, we had no idea that we were starting a wildfire when <laughs> yes. we kind of started yes. this. Yeah. She yes. pulls people aside at school. Yes. She prays over over yes. custodians, yes. over yes. students, yes. over yes. teachers. Yes. You name it. If she sees somebody yes. that that God puts on her heart, strange she's like, "Hey, come on over. Yes. Let me let me pray for you." Right. So so you have no yeah. idea what yeah. you may or may not start, and they become so much better at it than you are. You know, and that's that's a good thing. Um, but did you see that as discipleship at the time? You know what? I did not. I always thought discipleship was like a group doing like a Bible study or whatever, just not that one-on-one um, example leading mm-hmm. discipleship. I didn't, I didn't see that at all yeah. as discipleship at all. Yeah. Just to be honest. So we were in group together for a few years, mm-hmm. um, and then she and Jeff um, branched a group, and so they took a couple people from our group. They started their own group. Um, and actually, then they had to branch off that group, so, so yeah. they, they've been leading groups now yeah. for, what, four or five years yeah. um, and doing yeah. a great job. Thank you. But why did you reach out probably, what, eight, a year, 18 months ago yeah. um, for some discipleship? 
Um, I reached out because I basically um, saw something great in, in, and I know I'm not supposed to encourage, but I saw something in <laughs> Michelle that I really wanted. Um, and, and she was a safe person because I could share some really tough struggles that I was having. So we were already in a relationship to begin with. Mm -hmm. and, um, and so because of that, um, I just, I, I desired what you had, mm -hmm. uh, that peace that Michelle had that, you know, and, and anxiety can be a big struggle yeah. for me. Again, I'm up here. I can't believe this. But anyways, <laughs> but I saw that in you and yeah. I wanted that and, and she was approachable. She was available. And so that's yeah. why I kind of reached out to, awesome. to you. So yeah. how do we, how do we do it? Um, basically it's a daily walk. Um, it's being in, in, in relationships, um, sharing my struggles with Michelle, uh, family related, uh, kids, um, just, uh, calling you, asking uh, for advice, um, praying on the phone, that kind of thing. Yeah. Um, just kind of just doing life together. Um, did I answer that? Yeah. When we when we first started, when she came to me and and we both had prayed about it and I prayed about it, then we talked and said, okay, this is what it's going to look like. You know, this is what I'm going to ask you to do some things that you are not going to want to do. Um, yeah. We can have a conversation about yeah. it, but I'm yeah. still probably going to ask you to do it. Yeah. Yeah, um, and what what's yeah. some of those things? Well, um, this is kind of a funny thing, but uh, a silly story. I grew up in a family where my dad's extremely frugal. We never used our clothing dryer. dryer. And so when I got married, I did not use my dryer either. Mm -hmm. And one of my struggles is people-pleasing. And so to please my dad, I would say, you know, I'm not using the dryer. I'm hanging out clothes. And I remember sharing that with Michelle, and she's like, who doesn't use I was literally dryer? silent on she, the phone. She I went, quiet. She's what? like, you don't use your dryer? What? Come again? And I was like, I, I don't because I'm, you know, it's, I, I want to be, you know, I want to please my father. And he never used his, and I would hang out all the clothes. My neighbors hated me because I hang them over, like, the deck. Like, oh, they're that family, you know? But anyways, I am proud to say the last few months I've been using my dryer. <laughs> We're getting there. It's a progress. It's a progress. Using my dryer. Yeah. But I remember taking a picture of me using the dryer. <laughs> yeah. To Michelle, and she's like, the way to go. But it took months. Like yeah. when, after yeah. she told me that, yeah. I was like, well, she really worked. First, I mean, literally, I was like, well, <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah, and it's real. I mean, when you work in the church, you hear a lot of like yeah. stories, right? And you're, you start learning how to keep a straight face, you know? <laughs> but I couldn't even keep a straight face with that one. No, no, I just no. was like, yes. yeah. And so, but yeah. then I had to peel a pack and go, okay, why are you not using yeah. a dryer? Are you yeah. not using it because yeah. you really don't like the way the clothes are when they exactly. come out? Okay, yeah. fine. I can, I can live with that, you know? Yeah. Are you using it because you really don't have the money yeah. to pay for the electricity yeah. for the dryer? It wasn't you know? like But then once she said, no, my yeah. dad. I was yeah. like, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. now you're using yeah. your dryer. Yeah. 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 And yeah. so, but it probably took her no, it, a year. Yeah, it really did, guys. To to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Because yeah. you know, wrapped around that yeah. that silly dryer yeah. was so much other stuff. Yeah. You know, there was a lot of other things that were wrapped into that dryer. Exactly. And that exactly. needed to be handed over to Christ. You know, the dryer was just the last little. You know, yeah. symbol, yeah. outward yeah. symbol that yeah. needed to be handed over. And yeah. so, um, but it's so. It, but, it, but it was so such an obvious one that it's actually kind of neat to see them get yeah, to the other side right, of that, you know. Like but even just like apologizing, yeah. the uncomfortable things, being quick to admit when I've made a mistake um, and I've, I've wronged somebody, yeah. and just you modeling that or whatever, and not carrying those resentments. And 
And another thing is trying to always say yes to my mom and just trying to build yeah. up some safe boundaries with my family. Um, and, and it's okay to say no. Yeah. Those are the tough yeah. things that you yeah. walked with me yeah. uh, with um, enabling my kids, yeah. something that is an ongoing thing. Yeah. Yeah. So anyways, lots of, yeah. lots of good things, uh, uncomfortable things, but, yeah. but definitely moving towards the, the person that Christ made me to be. So. But one of the big reasons I wanted Maggie up here, um, besides the fact that I love her, is that she was leading a group. She's already in leadership. She's doing a great job discipling women and leading groups and leading Bible studies at school and, you know, doing all those things. But while we're working mm-hmm. together, she's just getting even more tools mm-hmm. to be able to lead mm-hmm. even better in the future. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. so I don't want to discourage you. If you are already in leadership, you're there. Yeah. You know, it's okay to get fed into um, in some areas that you haven't turned over. And the key is finding somebody that you feel safe with that you can go, I I don't, I don't, I know on the outside I look like I've got it all together, but I don't in these areas. Um, And and to reach out. So thank you, Maggie. Why do you think, why do you need relationships? Um, Number one, it's biblical. God calls us to be in relationship with others. And I'm so grateful that I'm not walking alone. And when I'm in a relationship, with someone like Michelle, they can hold me accountable and keep my eyes on Christ. And I'm so grateful because I know when Michelle tells me an area that I need to work on, she does it in a loving way that I want and I have that desire that I want to change. Yeah. And there's the truth and love with it yeah. that you do. Yeah. And uh, it's huge. It's made just yeah. a huge difference. Thank you, sweetheart. Thank you. Thank you, Maggie. And to close up, I want to go back to that John uh, scripture. Very truly, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing. What he did was truth and love. He loved those disciples. Those disciples were in his life for a reason. He fed into them. um, And he loved them enough to speak truth to them. Um, And so, and they allowed him to do that. Um, So I would just encourage you, and I want to pray over you for a minute. Um, to, to do that, to get that for your life and to give that away to others. Um, if, we'll, if you'll pray with me. Heavenly Father, um, you are such a good and gracious God, Lord. I thank you. I thank you for the women in this room. Um, you put them here for a reason. I just pray that I spoke the words that you wanted me to. I pray that they penetrated their hearts um, in exactly the place that you wanted it to. Um, discipleship is not um, about me. I don't want to, you know my heart, that I don't want to make disciples of me. I want to make disciples of you. And so, Lord, I pray that these women are able to go out of here, become stronger in their courage to disciple others um, towards you, um, and also to be able to be humble in their spirit to get discipleship where they're not as close to you yet. Um, So, Lord, I lift up the rest of this day to you. I pray that their safe travels back home um, and that you will... um, do your work in their daily life. And it's in your son's name that I pray. Amen. Mm-hmm. Are we, I, what time is our next session? It's lunch. Is it lunch? lunch? Oh, okay. So we have time for a couple questions if you guys want to want to have any. That's okay if you don't? Yeah. Um, I'm not sure how to word this exactly, but um, this looks a little different than the last mm-hmm. talk. And I know it looks different yeah. all the way around. Yeah. Um, and you've mentioned the um, Celebrate Recovery mm-hmm. information. Yeah. Are there other tools you use? I mean, uh, I like your term walking mm-hmm. with people. Yeah. But um, I guess I'm, I'm having a little hard time seeing what this looks like. Does it just look so different with every person? 
when you say you're going to walk with them, yeah. are you planning a meeting with them yeah. every week or are you just yeah. answering the phone when they call? What are you, you know what I'm saying? A lot of it depends on where they are and a lot of it depends on where they are kind of in here. Um, because it looks different from a Helga to a Claire, looks, look, does look different. Um, most of my experience is kind of one-on-one. -on -one. Um, and then what happens is sometimes they'll get healthy enough to get into a group of you know, four or five people. Uh, a lot of the people that I work with go through a 12-step um, step study. Uh, and so I walk with them. So I walk with them through that study. And so that kind of has built-in material. Um, one of the things that I actually really like to do that kind of will peel people apart a bit is Victory Over Darkness. It's an old one um, by Neil Anderson. Uh, but I have found that I need a couple of things in my tool belt that are my go-tos because if I'm walking with a couple of people uh, and it's not in the group setting, then I don't have time to prepare over and over, over, and, over and over again. Yeah. Um, and because I, I work full-time in the ministry, I tend to get for the most part, people either in crisis or they're already leaders. Um, and a lot of the people that are somewhere in between, I may ask other people to do. There's people in the back of the room, Karen there, that I'll ask to walk with somebody and go, I think you guys might be a great match. Um, but I have to know my leaders too. So a lot of times I will spend my time getting to know a lot of the women leaders that we have in our church um, just by having coffee with them. If you start asking a couple of questions, you can tell where they are. Um, for the most part, and then I kind of keep them in my back pocket. And when I find somebody that comes in that maybe I'm not the right person, then I can pray about that, and usually God will pull somebody from my back pocket and go, you know, this would be a great match. This was a little bit of a comp or mm -hmm. clash for me because a lot of the things I've been reading kind of does tend to say, hey, don't do the one-on-one and yeah. come into a counseling session. So disciple-making is going to be a group setting. And you yeah. Go. And so... But I do have a lady who's falling low on that mm -hmm. emotional maturity level, and she was a preacher's kid. Mm -hmm. So she sounds, yep. and she can, I mean, I'll say, you know when Paul said in the letter, and she's like, yeah, that's Ephesians 2, 3. Yeah. And I'm like, eh. Yeah. But emotionally, <laughs> yeah. I mean, this was huge for me mm -hmm. because, because and, and I haven't seen some yeah. of the things I expected to see. Yeah. Yeah. But I still did the one-on-one, -on -one, even mm -hmm. though it was discouraged. Mm -hmm. And it's been 18 months now, yeah. and I'm finally seeing her. Right. And it did take a long yeah. amount of time. And yeah. I didn't, I don't know if I could put my finger on why. I yeah. just knew that God didn't call me away from her. Yeah. And so I kept investing in her, and that's why. Right. And it that, took that's, a while yeah. to get to, yeah. for me to understand, you're really like a 13-year-old. Right. So I'm actually raising you emotionally and I'm trying to raise you spiritually. Yeah. 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 Okay. yeah. And I, I think there's, there's, there's room for both and yes, because I have found, especially leading our discipleship ministry, if I put that person that's stuck at the 12 or 13-year-old level, if I put them in a group, sometimes they bring the whole group, you know, with them. You know, or they'll dominate the group so much that it takes a very experienced leader to be able to handle that. And I may not have that leader, you know, ready to go. And so they need that one-on-one, -on -one, and they may need the structure of a Celebrate Recovery or that a counsel. I have people that, that I'll walk with that they go to counseling, and they'll call me right after their counseling session, tell me kind of what the counselor did and what the homework was, and then we'll work together because I want to work in conjunction with them because I'm not a counselor. Yeah. You know, but I I want to 
teach them biblical principles that they can use after they're out of counseling, okay. you know? Um, and so, so we have at our church all of the above. You know, we have, we have discipling groups. We call them T groups, transformation groups, but it's the same thing. Um, and then we have one-on-one stuff that happens. Um, and it really, it, it's, I wish it was a one-size-fit-all because that would be, in my personality, I want like this grid up here. Okay, you're coming in here. You're going in here. And we're, you know, we're putting you in this way. And it'll work out perfectly because, you know, everybody's similar. Um, but they're just not, you know. And I've just found this to really take a load off of me also so that I can, with the right expectation, go into it go, okay, I now understand that you're here and that's okay. You need discipleship. But it may not be for me to be able to do right now because I don't have the bandwidth for it. Um, you know, and that's, that's, I think, okay to say. Um, if you're in a position like I am, though, where, where you do have to find a place for them, um, like if you work in women's ministry or something like that, that's where I would encourage you to get to know the leaders, the other people that you have, because it's a whole community. Um, there are some people that are really just born to do one-on-one. Mm-hmm. They love it. They love one-on-one. Um, they don't they don't really fit into, they don't really want to lead a, you know, they're not as structured. Um, the great thing about Candy is she's real structured, and that's wonderful. Um, I'm not that structured. Um, I'm a little envious of her structure, to be quite honest, but um, but I don't think it really fits me um, in the way that God wants to use me um, all the time. And so, uh, so I think it's just also your leaders knowing their own personalities um, and what they don't have to fit into a box. Because if you have, you know, if you have a busy mom with, let's say she's got four kids from 10 to 17, the likelihood that she's going to be able to be in a D group may be pretty low. Um, but she may be able to do a one-on-one study, you know, one-on-one with somebody because it's a lot more flexible. You can have more flexibility. You can meet at weird times. One week and one week you meet at this time. One time you meet at the soccer game and the next minute, you know what I mean? Um, that, that a group doesn't necessarily have that flexibility. Now, it will take longer to replicate because mm-hmm. you're not doing, you know, five or six at a time. Um, and that's just kind of something that you have to balance, which is why I think it's important to have both in a church. Um, and, and for the leaders to be able to match what fits their giftings. Yeah. Yeah. And know that God may call us into a season to do one-on-one mm-hmm. and then he may call a season yeah. for a group and yeah. it's going to depend on who God puts in our life at the time. Well, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Does anybody else have any questions? Uh, no, yeah. I even kind of want to get into a terminology discussion. Yes. <laughs> yeah. We all had plenty of that last night, trust me. I was like texting Bobby afterwards. It was kind of funny. Yeah, I was texting Bobby while to me this sounds which which I'm a fan of anyway, more on a coaching level almost mm-hmm. than mm-hmm. a I think a lot of those terms are very similar. Uh, you know, once you get to the training phase, well I'll pull from last night, the training phase of discipleship and the obedience phase of discipleship, mm-hmm. um Yes, it can be co- some people will call it coaching, some are more comfortable with mentoring, some are more comfortable with discipleship, yeah, it, it, some sponsor, you know. Um, I think that that's okay. So would you, um, and you might have just said this, so these are probably crisis for leadership, so leadership I don't know. The crisis ones, would you pretty much always strive to get them into a discipleship group after you got them through this, or...? Probably, but most of the time, their crisis had nothing to do with what we end up, where we end up. So just like I was talking about Dolores, her marriage brought her in. That was just the catalyst that God used to to get her through the door. 
um, to get her to hit her bottom because because she thought she was losing her family, and that was the that was her idol, honestly. And so he used that to get her in the door. Um, and once she was in the door, we could start peeling apart like what was really going on that her family was her idol, and what if God did take that away from her? See, Where is her identity? Where is that? It's only been a couple of years, trust me. A lot of a lot of the the experience and the the knowledge, if you want to say, comes from the recovery stuff that I've done. Um, and you know, there's some recovery books that you can even read and just get some of the basic you know principles down. Because all of it, the best way that I I describe it, and this is how I described it to to Maggie when when um, I became her sponsor. Or if I'm going to disciple somebody, if this is how I describe it is, all I'm doing, my only job is to walk ahead of you about three steps and hold a lantern over the path that's getting you to Christ. Okay? And so when you go off that path, I'm just going to maybe step a little bit out and I'm going to hold the lantern. Your job is to come back. I'm not going to run after you. I am not going to drag you back to the path. But I will light the path up. And we're just going to keep on going like this. I am not going to go so far ahead of me that you can't see me and you can't see the light because at that point they can't see Christ at the end of the path usually, you know, because they're trying to rewire their brains, you know, and that's one of the things that I talk to a lot of people about is that you have these these routes that you've always gone, you know, and most of them are worldly, and a lot of times for women it's thoughts, it's not maybe not it's maybe not the actions but it's thoughts, you know, that are not captured and are not of God. And what happens is, is we get so stuck in those those ruts because they're in the road and they're they're past that to start a new one is really hard to do because literally you have to take a machete and you have to chop it down just to be able to get a little bit down the path. So my job is to show you where that path is. It has, if you have Christ in you, it's pro, it's there. The path is there. It just needs to be chopped down a little bit. You know, my job isn't to chop it down for you. You have to chop it down for yourself. Um, but the more that you go along that new path, because it's going to feel completely foreign to you. I mean, literally for me, especially in my marriage, when I first started you know, getting into this, I had to go, okay, what do I normally do? Where does my normal, where would my usual thoughts go to? And then I had to go, okay, I'm going to do the opposite. Yeah. <laughs> and because I know those are not of Christ. Now, I don't actually, I haven't practiced what is of Christ, but I know this isn't, so I'm going to do the opposite. And so if it meant, you know, um, not getting angry or not being bitter or not letting seeds of things, you know, okay, normally I wouldn't bring that up to my husband because it would lead down a path of a discussion that I don't want to go down, but that's not honesty and that's not Christ. So I better go down this path. You know, but it was a conscious decision every time. And, and so what I try to tell people is, it's going to be a fight every time you go down that new path. Mm-hmm. But eventually it will become trodden and you will easily get down the path. And what the goal is, is that I just move down a little further along that path where it's not quite chopped yet. And as you're growing here, you're chopping down new parts. You're not having to go back. You know, you're not going to go back. Now, the thing about it is that I do try to remind people is, is that we all have our go-tos. We all have our unchristlike paths that are our go-tos, you know. And so one of the things that, that I'll tell them is be ready for those, though. Have a plan because you know that's your go-to. So have a plan 
Satan is going to attack you there again so that you can go, nope, not going to fall for it. I'm going down the new path. Um, and when you can keep choosing that new path, it becomes, it, it, it becomes you know, just normal behavior. Um, I like to look at it as, as we have to make little tiny steps. Every single day we make little decisions. Those little decisions become a Christ-honoring life. It's not big decisions most of the time. Most of the time, God isn't calling us to go, go take that hill and do it like in one swoop. He's calling us to like trod up the hill, you know? And that's just one putting one foot in front of the other. And so if we can do that all along the way, then our life will be God honoring. Um, and we will go off the path a little bit, but we're hopefully going to get back on it again quickly. Yeah. But it does look really different. And, and each person that, that I am blessed to feed into teaches me. And that's one of the things that I really wanted to bring out to Dolores is I had no clue what to tell her. Like, literally. She would call me, and sometimes I don't answer the phone. I'm like, I don't know what she's going to tell me. I don't know what to do. I'd rather her leave a message, and then I can think about it, and I can pray about it, and then I can look up some scripture, and then I can jump into it. You know, I mean, it's fair. You know, text messaging is great because, you know, I, that really gives me a little time, you know. Um, but what it taught me was I have to depend on Christ. I, it, it is all about him. It's not about me. You know, I can, get, I can even tell him, going, you know what, this is the decision that I would probably make. I know that it's not right. But let's go look at scripture and figure out what the right decision is. Um, I don't have the answer. I haven't been in your shoes. You know, and then, and then we start, we just do it together. You know, and that's okay. It's okay not to have the answer. Uh, and there are times when I will go to our, you know, leadership, our ministerial leadership, and go, Bobby, Josh, and Josh is the guy that does the emceeing with, with uh, that's who I work primarily with, both of them. And I'll just go, where would you point somebody in this situation? Help me. And, of course, sometimes they give me way too much information. Um, and they give me the, you know, the, the word base and, the, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, I don't care that much about the Greek. I just want to know. <laughs> Where do I point them? You know, and that's okay um, because that's their gifting. Yeah. But yeah. 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 Anybody have anything else? Thank you guys for your attention. I know it's a long morning. Thank you. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers Podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.